The Phantom of the Opera is here. I do love The Phantom of the Opera. It is my single favorite musical of all time, and the 2004 film adaptation is one of my very favorite movies of all time. Jesus taught using parables regularly. He would present a story rather than giving direct exposition of scripture sometimes. But this confused a lot of people, and the disciples in Matthew 13 one time came up to Jesus and asked, Jesus, why do you teach the people in parables? And Jesus said, because the kingdom, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. You see, not everybody understands what's going on. And a parable is a story with spiritual truth. And just as the same sun heats and warms and softens wax, that same sun will heat and harden clay. And so it is with a parable. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been given to us, but not to everyone. And that means Jesus tells these stories so that those who have a hardened heart would not be worse off than they already were. Jesus continued, I teach in parables because though they, are, they see, they are never seeing. And though they hear, they are never hearing or understanding. Jesus presented these stories that required spiritual discernment. And the same parable could be heard and soften the heart and quicken the imagination of the spiritually wise, may harden the heart and dull the imagination of the spiritually unwise. And what it takes to understand a parable is spiritual discernment. One must have spiritual discernment. And Jesus, by telling these parables again and again and showing people how to understand the kingdom of heaven in a way that sometimes is different than just explaining Scripture itself, you see the truth within Scripture. And so it is with modern parables that we can find spiritual elements inside modern forms of entertainment. And it is my goal, my hope, that during this movie series, during this parable, modern parable series, using modern film, that you would be able to see the spiritual truths embedded in some of the great works of cinema. Today, that work of cinema is Phantom of the Opera. In 2004, there was a film adaptation of the 1986 musical, which itself is based on an earlier book. In 1986, the incomparable Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote the music to Phantom of the Opera, which has become the longest-running and most successful show in Broadway history. I've been fortunate enough to see this show live on Broadway and when it was performed right here at Missouri State a few years ago. I brought my wife Kim up for our 14th wedding anniversary so we could go see another stage production of Phantom of the Opera. The 2004 film stars Gerard Butler and Emmy Rossum and Patrick Wilson, and it is a marvelous, marvelous adaptation, word for word of the musical. And the music is truly haunting memorable and beautiful. It will stick with you and you will remember the tune. You will be humming along. But this story, the Phantom of the Opera, is unlike the other stories that we've told so far, unlike Superman and Wonder Woman 84 and Field of Dreams, this is something of a negative parable. 
This is a parable where we see the spiritual truth that is gleaned, that is able to be pulled from the story, is not something that's feel good and that makes us feel appreciative for all that we are, but rather it's something that makes us feel appreciative for all that God has done in light of how bad everyone is. In this story, everyone is bad. Everyone is bad. You're designed to root for the phantom, as you should according to the way the story unfolds. But by the end, you realize that this is just as tragic as any one of Shakespeare's tragedies. Everything ends in tragedy. Nothing is glorious. Nothing is grand. And this juxtaposition of beautiful, haunting, memorable music mixed with a tale of true human darkness is beautiful to see. The story follows the phantom of the opera, who is a musical genius, but he is unknown by the world. He lives in the catacomb and labyrinth of sewers beneath a popular opera house in Paris in the 1800s. This ghost-like figure appears and disappears, and it also involves another man, the uh, a man named Raoul, who is the patron of this um, opera house, and it stars another character named Christine. Christine is an orphan, and before her father died, her father told Christine, before you grow, I will send an angel of music and this angel of music will teach you, and you will learn, and you will grow musically. And ever since she was seven years old, Christine has lived in the dormitories of Opera Populaire. And she's been taught by the mysterious figure known as the Phantom. Now, Christine had not been the star of any production until one evening when the star soprano of the opera refused to perform. And that's when Christine Daae takes center stage. She blows the crowd away with her musical ability. She has clearly been taught by some genius. And everyone is curious how this chorus girl has become so brilliant musically. She goes back to her dressing room and explains to her best friend how she has been visited by an angel of music. And then this Raoul comes and tries to take Christine to dinner, but this does not please our phantom. In this first clip, we see everything we need to know about this mysterious figure and how deceived our poor Christine truly is. Basking in your glory Ignorant fool, this brave young suitor Sharing in my triumph Little I hear you speak, I listen 
flattering child, you shall know me. See why in shadow I hide. Look at your face in the mirror. I am there inside.
phantom is masquerading as an angel of light, preying upon the news that her father gave to her. Christine has expected an angel of music. Knowing her weakness, this phantasm creature calls himself the angel of music. I am your angel of music. And then he even calls her the angel of music. Sing for me, angel of music, for he is so convinced, the phantom is, that he is the most musically brilliant genius that only an instrument of his own making, Christine Daae, the voice that he has trained, the voice that he has prepared, is adequate to sing the operas that he produces, that he brings about. Notice what he sings to her. Sing once again with me our strange duet. My power over you grows stronger yet. This phantom is twisting and corrupting the mind of this young woman so that she will fall prey to his influence. And one of the things that we must recognize is that Satan does not always go around roaring like a lion, seeking to devour. But sometimes, he's more subtle than that. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, is dismayed that so many people are so easily putting up with false teaching. We have to recognize that sometimes, those who seem to have our best interest at heart, don't actually he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Paul is discouraged. And then he continues in verses 13 and 14. Such people, those who are presenting a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then, if Satan's servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Yes, sometimes Satan will roar at us like a mighty lion, but other times he will seek to deceive us by masquerading as an angel of light. We know that we should appreciate the angels of light, those who would bring good news as Gabriel did, those who would declare the good news as the angels did in the garden and as they did standing watching Jesus ascend after the resurrection. And yet, the devil knows how to be wily. And he knows that just as he, Paul knows that just as the devil can masquerade as an angel of light, so too the devil's servants can masquerade as apostles of righteousness, messengers of righteousness. And their end will be what they deserve. This is a scary thing to note. Their end will be what they deserve. 
For all will stand on the judgment seat before Christ and will give an account for what they have done in the body, whether good or bad. And those who seek to twist the gospel, those who seek to present a different spirit, those who portray Jesus other than the way we portray him, they will get what their actions deserve. And we see this all the time, don't we? There are false apostles. There are deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. There are those who would put on sheep's clothing but are truly wolves, and they would seek to distort the truth. And anytime Jesus is presented in such a way as he is anything less than the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, you are being presented a false Jesus. Anytime you are presented a spirit other than the spirit we received, anytime you're told, if you don't manifest this gift, or if you don't manifest that gift, you do not truly have the spirit, you are being deceived. For you are being asked to receive a spirit other than the Holy Spirit of God. And anytime the gospel message is presented in such a way as you have to do something to earn your own salvation, you are getting a false gospel. But it is easy for those who would peddle lies to invade our mind. You see, we've been taught from a very early age to expect Christ's people to do Christ's bidding. And yet we know that there are some who will seek to destroy us they will seek to destroy us. And you might think, oh, Andrew, it's awfully easy to call out Satan's servants for masquerading as servants of righteousness and presenting lies. A false Jesus, a different spirit than the one we received, a gospel built on lies, those things are easy to identify. Are they? Are they? If they're so easy to identify, why is it that so many churches wholesale accept falsehood? Why is it that so many Christians refuse to say the truth that Jesus Christ is God? Jesus Christ is my Lord and my God. He's the second person of the, he's the God man. He is God in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. Why is it that so many people think that the only way you can get the Holy Spirit or the only way to prove you have the Holy Spirit is by demonstrating this or that particular manifestation of the Spirit? Does the Spirit not distribute gifts as he sees fit? Any man who tells you you must exemplify a particular gift of the Spirit as evidence of your salvation is peddling a false spirit. And why is it that so many people accept the gospel of prosperity? Why is it that so many people in this country accept the gospel of works? I will work my hardest so that God will accept me. You might think it's very, very easy to spot and identify those who would seek to deceive us. Just like you might think it's so easy to clearly understand that this phantom does not have Christine's best interest at heart. He's already caused all kinds of accidents. He's already caused all kinds of mayhem, and he will do far worse. But I will tell you this. As Christians, we too love to masquerade, especially on Sunday. We are really good at deceiving other people, church folk. In reality, a lot of our masquerade balls look just like this. 
They look just like any Sunday morning church service around the country. But spiritually, we do the same thing that the devil does. Spiritually, we do the same thing that false apostles do. We masquerade, pretending things are one way when they're another. The real world looks just like this, but the spiritual realm, Sunday morning, oftentimes looks like this. Masquerade, paper faces on display. Look around, there's another mask behind you. Masquerade, paper faces on display. Hide your face so the world will never find you. Blurring glances, stirring heads. Stop and stare at the sea of smiles around you. Masquerade, seething shadows, breathing lies. You can fool any friend who ever knew you. Church is no masquerade ball. Christians, it's time to take the spiritual mask off. We love to wear our spiritual masks, and we're really, really good at it. Church folk are the masters of masquerade, for we love to put the spiritual mask on every Sunday rather than let people see what is truly behind the falsehood we present. We've got to take them off. Now, there are four particular spiritual masks that we wear most often. The first is the mask of sinless perfection. We love to let people think that we are sinless. We hate to let people know that we struggle with sin. And so we want the world to know that everything is okay, that everything is great. You've probably done it. Maybe you did it this morning. You drive in to church frustrated with your spouse, yelling at your kids, so angry, so frustrated, saying things you know you're going to regret after church, and then as soon as you hit the parking lot, throw it into park and open the door, the switch is flipped. 
You do the old church 180, and you show up with a big grin on your face, a big fist bump for the door greeter, and when they ask, how's it going, everything's great. Everything's great. Fine, how are you? We love to do this. We love to let everybody think everything is fine. Oh, oh, nothing, nothing bad is happening with me. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, it's not that I'm struggling with this sin still, or that sin, or that my life feels like it's crumb. No, 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 there's no sin here. Move on to the next person. Nothing to see. My paper face will parade right past you. Look, there's another mask behind you. Go chase that one down. We do this regularly at church, but we don't need to. We don't need to wear a mask of sinless perfection, and I know that because Scripture tells us in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus himself says, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And in James 5, 16, we're told to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, for the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Jesus didn't come for the sinless. He came for the sinner. Just like a doctor doesn't go to the healthy, he goes to the unhealthy. Jesus recognizes that sin is a part of what we do. And when we pretend that sin is not a part of what we do, we make God out to be a liar. Stop. It's okay that you sin. Jesus has paid for your sin. I don't want you to continue in sin. Christ himself will say, go and sin no longer. And yet, the sins that we commit are still covered by Jesus on the cross. Therefore, you should confess your sins to one another. You should let people know that you struggle. Stop pretending to be perfect. This legalistic notion of, oh, I'm completely perfect. I'm completely perfect. And nobody ever knows about my sin. Nobody ever hears about my sin. I might tell people in vaguest terms possible, oh, sure, I struggle just like everyone else. But when I put it in terms of struggle, that lets them think maybe I never give in. And my mask of sinless perfection is unmarred. Now just take that stupid mask off. Just take the mask off. Understand that Jesus came to get you because you're a sinner. And it's okay. You have to take up your cross daily because daily you wrestle and struggle with sin and you go back to it. And you need to confess your sins to each other. Now, I don't think that you have to confess your sins to every single person, nor do I think that you need to find one particular person like the Catholics do, and that's the only person you confess your sins to. But sometimes it's good to let the people know you sin. I've shared with you guys some of my past and you know some of my struggles in which I have most definitely succumbed. You guys know all about that. I've shared with you some of that. But some of you don't know everything, but there are some who know it all. Because I have my smaller group of guys that I talk to, and I confess my sins to them, and they confess their sins to me, and we pray for one another so that we can be healed. For why would we do anything else? Why would we pretend that everything is perfect and wear a stupid mask to church spiritually week in and week out? Take that mask off. But it's not the only mask that we wear. Sometimes we wear the mask of joy. Now, I'm not talking about the spiritual fruit of joy. That is a good one. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Not that one, not that. I'm talking about joy's ugly cousin, fakey, fake joy. I'm talking about the fake mask of joy where you plaster on a fake smile and you start giving all kinds of Christian platitudes and you let everyone know that everything is fine and you're filled with joy even though you're not filled with joy. 
Sometimes we're going through a drought. Sometimes we are dis, uh, distressed. Sometimes we're depressed. And we put the mask of joy on when we think no one else could possibly understand what it is we're going through. And we put this mask on and we fake it. We hide behind a smile and we let everyone know that, oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. When on the inside, all we want to do is cry, but we don't think that they will understand. They don't need to understand. We have a perfect high priest who can sympathize with us and empathize with us. He can understand. And even if I can't understand perfectly, I've gone through my own drought. I've gone through my own desert. And I have been depressed. And we can't just pretend that we're filled with joy. There's a better way to express joy. Romans 12, 11, 12 and 13 says this. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Oh, I want you to wear joy, but I don't want you to wear a false mask of joy when everything is bad. I don't want you to pretend that everything is good. I don't want you to. Instead, I want you to wear true, genuine joy, not fake joy, where you're faking it till you can make it. I want you to wear true joy that comes in hope, for you can hope for something better. Your circumstances might not be the way you want them. Your life might not be going the way you thought it would go, but you can hope for something greater. For nobody hopes for what they already have. We hope for something greater. And what we hope for is our new body. So I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're going through cancer. I'm not sure what you're going through. Maybe you're going through divorce. I'm not sure what you're going through. Maybe you're struggling with that sin. I'm not sure what you're going through. Maybe your daughter doesn't like you and doesn't want to go to church. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know this. You don't have to fake and pretend that it's okay. You can have hope that it will be okay. Because it will be okay. God will work everything out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his glory and purpose. This is the promise of scripture. This is the hope to which we cling. And because of that hope, we can do as Galatians 6.2 says. We can bear each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. So we bear one another's burdens. When you share with me your depression and I share with you mine and I take off my false mask of joy and I wear genuine joy, which is hope, which is not pretending that it's okay, it's acknowledging that it's not okay and that you want it to be better. And when I show you my genuine hope, you get to bear that burden with me. So when you call me at 11 at night with a spiritual crisis, as some have done, I'm there to bear a burden with you. You don't have to carry it alone. You don't have to pretend you're all alone. I will help you, but I can't do it alone. You have to talk to other people too. That's why we have a staff. That's why we have elders. That's why we have Christian brotherhood and sisterhood. We have to find the group with which we can be real and the group that knows us so well that they can see when we're wearing one of those silly spiritual masks and they can tell, stop masquerading. Take it off. I can tell you're faking. Let me bear that burden with you. It's a good and glorious thing to share your struggles with other people. But another mask that we wear is the mask of strength. Oh, this one's a good one. Maybe you just had a baby and your baby is staying up all night long and will not go to sleep. 
but you'll power through. And when people ask you, how is it? It's fine because I'm strong. Or maybe you're dealing with your mom or your dad or your grandpa or your grandma who's got Alzheimer's. And you're struggling by caring for them all the time and it's draining on you. And yet you'll power through. You'll tell everyone, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. I'm strong enough. I'm strong enough. Maybe you've lost your job or maybe you're scared or maybe you're depressed or maybe you're about to lose your job because you don't want somebody to tell you how you ought to live. And you think, nope, I'm strong. I can handle it. I can handle it. Maybe the relationship that you love so dearly is crumbling and you know that you can't handle it, but you're going to let everyone think you can handle it and you'll put on that mask of strength. Those who wear the mask of strength do so as a deflection Maybe you've got a prodigal son or daughter who keeps making that bad choice again and again and again. And no matter how hard you pray, no matter what you do, she keeps on turning. He keeps going farther and farther from you. How's it going? It's fine. I'm strong. No, you're not. And you don't have to pretend to be strong. There's a better way. You can take that mask off and instead you can do as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, as Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, the apostle Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Stop pretending you're Superman and you're so strong that you can deal with it. Maybe... Admit you're not. Maybe admit you're powerless. You have no idea what to do. And even though you tell other people what to do a lot of the time, you're just flummoxed here. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. And you just tell someone so they can bear that burden with you. And you just tell someone so they can pray with you. And you just tell someone so that Christ's strength can rest on you. His grace is sufficient. Guess what? You do not go to heaven or to hell based on your child's choice. You do not go to heaven or to hell based on your child's sleep schedule and your good or bad reaction to it. You do not go to heaven or to hell based on the heart you have when caretaking for someone who's in a very infirmed position. You do not go to heaven and hell or hell based on your job, losing your job, quitting your job, or getting divorced. You go to heaven or to hell based on whether or not you have accepted the Lord Jesus. And if you accept him and you admit your own powerlessness, his grace is sufficient, and he will be made perfect in your weakness, and you will be filled with power. But there's a fourth mask we like to wear, the mask of contentment. Oh, I'm a master at this one. We love to pretend to be contented, and we have to pretend to be contented a lot because our hearts are continually discontented. Advertisement banks on this entirely. Oh, you only have the 2020 Chevy? No, no, no. You need the 22s are coming out soon. You need the new one. Oh, you've only got iPhone 12? That's ridiculous. iPhone 42 coming out next month. (laughs) This is the world in which we live. We have to continually have more and more and more. Our relationships are based on discontent. We want what other people have. Our bodies 
our finances. We see what other people have and we want that. Why is it that your bonus was as much as my entire salary? I work hard. How do I not have anything? How do you have a husband that is so kind and loving, you might say to the other gal, or you might just think it, and you're discontented. But you put on that mask of contentment, and you pretend that everything is fine. And when we wear the mask of contentment, we're doing so to try to deflect. We're deflecting. We see somebody who says, yep, I'm down 27 pounds. And you smile and give the fist bump because 27 pounds was the goal you made on New Year's Day. And they've achieved it, but you haven't. And rather than be happy for the success of another man, you put on the mask and you hug and you fake smile and you fist bump and you're totally content with how your life is. And yet you would trade everything for that greener grass. I know, I know, I know because I'm there. We're all there because without the Holy Spirit, the default disposition of our heart is discontent. That is always how it goes. And while your mask may cover your discontent, your heart is always laid bare before the Lord. I know that because he says so in 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And he can see. You think a mask fools God? You think a mask fools the spiritually discerning man of God? No! We can tell we're all faking. So stop. Just be real. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, you can apply this to way more than just money. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Your wife might leave you, your child might forsake you, your grandpa might die, your job might fire you, but Jesus can say, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Why do we wear the masks? Why do we put them on? Why are we so obsessed with wearing the masks again and again and again? Well, the answer is simple. It's fear. We fear, just like the phantom, that if people were to see who we really are, they would react just like this. Say you share with me one love, one lifetime. Lead me, save me from my solitude. Say
once more to the dungeons of my black despair. Down we plunge to the prison of my mind. Down that path into darkness deep as We think that's what you'll do to us. We're all afraid that if we take the mask off, everyone in church will respond just the way everyone in the opera house responded. We think that our sin has so marred us and made us so ugly that our circumstances are so desperate that if people saw who we really were, they wouldn't take us. They wouldn't love us. They wouldn't accept us. And so, we have to ask ourselves some very important questions. Do we care more about the acceptance of people or of God? Do we care more about presenting ourselves who we truly are and letting people accept us? Or do we care more about winning people's approval and spurning God? I'm here to tell you, church, we will not respond like the opera Populaire responded to the phantom. But how, you might ask, how can we possibly avoid such a horrible reaction? The things I've done are so much more ugly than the face of the phantom. What could we possibly do? What I am here to tell you that we must do is bask in God's beauty, bask in God's glory, and remember what he has done for us. Very specifically, I would encourage you to take three Bible verses and memorize them and let them be the champions of your life. First is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And in so understanding, meditating and memorizing, we see the gospel in a sentence. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Christ's perfect beauty, glory, and reflection is what covers us. We have been made new, and our ugly sinfulness was cast upon him, and he died for us. The great cosmic switch took place. You are not the ugliness you think you are. And to help show that this has taken hold, I encourage you to take Romans 15, 7 immediately after. Accept one another. Just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. What could you possibly do that I could not accept? Oh, you've sinned, you've sinned so badly that I can't accept you? I've sinned just as badly. No, no, I've got, you've gone to jail? So what? I've murdered thousands of people in my mind. Oh, you've been divorced? I've committed adultery countless times. 
Oh, oh, you've done this, so have I. And guess what? You're new in Christ, just like I am. And I'm going to accept you. And I want you to accept me, just as Christ accepted us to bring praise and glory to God. So you remember that. You give people acceptance. That does not mean you accept their behavior. It means you accept the person who has been made new. And lastly, look at Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other. Stop lying to each other. Every time you put this on, you're lying to someone. You're lying to someone. Stop lying to each other. Since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. And if you will take these verses and you will meditate upon them, and you will think about what God has done for you, and you will bask in the glory of who he is and what he has done, you will see that this church is not like the opera hall. And when your mask is peeled back, may it be voluntarily done, we will not shrink back in horror, but we will stand with our brother or sister in Christ, having been made new. This is what GCC is all about. Tell everyone you know, because everyone needs to be accepted. And this is the place.